81.9% of the time, Kevin Pillar makes an out. That's not very good math. But... <laughs> In his last year of his contract, Chilowitzki. Oh, he's done. He's got two more years in his contract. Um, <laughs> if he had a certain pitch on his mind, one would think the catcher had shown him that pitch. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 107, where we're offering up eight and two-thirds innings of winning podcast every single week. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as usual, by Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, and you? Uh, I am good. I'm good. We had a very full week of Blue Jays baseball, though they were three and four. That's better than some weeks, so there were some things to celebrate. <laughs> Uh, Our standards have really changed as the season has gone along. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I can't, I cannot argue with you. Uh, Marcus Stroman came back. Ryan Barucki debuted. Josh Donaldson disappeared again. Um, Kevin Pillar, we'll talk about because he's been awful. Uh, Randall Grichuk, we'll talk about because he's been the opposite especially one particular day in Houston. Uh, Roberto Osuna's suspension was handed down by the league, so we will revisit uh, the Osuna topic. Uh, and we'll go to the trading block for probably Hap, O, and Estrada, and maybe we'll get another name in there, but that seems to be how it's shaping up right now. We, of course, have your questions. I have a cliche because I made the mistake of listening to Buck and Pat for like an entire game. Uh, we have a, a Stump the Josh question that doesn't quite meet our criteria, but A, it's from Colleen, and B, I think you need a softball question, and I think you, you'll you get this one right. So or better, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we should cancel the whole skit, but... Oh man! No, we'll, we'll, well, regardless of how this turns out, folks, I will not edit out Josh's answer. <laughs> All right, so let's start off the top. Marcus Stroman returned triumphantly. Is triumphantly a too strong a word? I don't think so. He was great. Cool. Did he win? Yeah. That's all that really matters, isn't it? Um, did we notice anything about his pitch mix or anything about his approach that changed from his supposedly discovering a new pitch down in Dunedin or whatever it was that someone rumored that he had done? So what the the rumor was, not so much that he discovered a new pitch, but that he changed his changeup, and I lied, he didn't win. I, I, he just felt like he won. Um, <laughs> Wait, at this point, we'll take it. It's all good. Yeah. No, it was that he changed his changeup. And I don't know. I, I I don't know what if the evidence of that is necessarily there. It wasn't. It was a little harder than his season average, but not as hard as his previous start. So, and, and, you know, it's moving a bit more horizontally though. So I guess that's the idea. But what he did to me that was more specifically different was he threw a bunch of different pitches. Uh, I mean, he, he didn't throw anything over forty percent of the time. He didn't throw anything other than the changeup, under 10% of the time. So he was mixing in the four-seamer, the cutter, the sinker, the slider, the curve, and that, I think, really led to him keeping the hitters off balance on the Angels. Well, like you, Darvish, uh, I think Marcus Stroman has a very uh, useful pitch salad. And when he falls in love with a particular pitch, it seems like it, it really is something that hitters start to pick up on and and really take advantage of him for. Uh, 
I, I wouldn't blame him if someone had suggested just continuing to mix it up and, and trying that for a few starts because none of the pitches are bad. I, I think one of the things that even Fangraphs talked about when they talked about his pitch mix as a rookie was they're all average to above average major league pitches, but you you, you can't just slide in and, and throw them like you know a blazing 100-mile-an-hour fastball and count on one pitch to get guys out. Yeah, and one of the weird things, too, is that early in the season, he wasn't throwing his cutter at all. I mean, in his first five starts, four of them, he threw zero cutters. And I wrote about this not uh, before last season, how when he throws his four-seamer, his sinker, and his cutter together, he has more of an area to cover than any pitcher in baseball that, you know, except for people whose cutter is like six miles an hour slower and it's basically a slider. It's a 23-inch area triangle the hitters have to cover if he's throwing all three pitches. And last start was the first time he did that all season. And and by that, you mean these are pitches that are coming out of the same arm angle with, with the same look and, to them coming out of his hand. Yeah, same arm angle and similar speed, too. So it's not like you know a slider is going to have a ton of difference in break, but it, you know, it doesn't look like a fastball, whereas a cutter, a sinker, and a four-seamer look the same. So we'll see if he continues forward with that. He certainly has going to get every opportunity to prove himself because the uh, getting him him back we thought was going to be a logjam in the rotation. And surprise, surprise, not one, but two people ended up on the disabled list. These things have a way of working themselves out, I believe, That's was uttered by someone on this podcast last week. <laughs> my line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you gave credit, so it's all good. Yeah. Funny that. And and the same day, too, Sanchez and Jaime Garcia go on the DL. So, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Uh, Sanchez, uh, I like my ball of contusion <laughs> for Sanchez. but <laughs> <laughs> He didn't have a blister. Remember, he had a finger contusion. What? And- yeah, it's a bruise or something. I don't know exactly. Contusion is so vague, but you know he's. They don't think he's going to be out longer than the ten days, but you know, <laughs> you know how good they are. Those predictions. Josh Johnson was supposed to like you know maybe not go on the DL, which we're going to get to, but. And uh, obviously the Troy Tulisky debacle from spring training. I just want to make absolutely clear that the Blue Jays are not the only team who does this. Not every no, team Mets, does it. The Mets are the Mets make the Jays look like they can predict the future. But uh, and the Nationals are also famous for uh, he's got a little bit of a boo boo. I'm sorry he died. <laughs> um, <laughs> all in one. Yeah. But whichever to each to each medical staff their own level of optimism. Yeah, but anyway, so they're both down, and but we'll see with Garcia. He's got shoulder soreness, and yeah, you know, like a lot of people joking, he's got like the left arm. Boopiness. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> but he's had a lot of shoulder problems throughout his career, so I, you know, I do believe it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, again, if it was if it was just him going on the DL, there would be maybe a wink, wink, nudge, nudge in there. But when you lose two members of the rotation, I don't see that's really a strategic advantage for the club to have two guys disappear uh, at the same yeah, and time. Yeah, force them to keep Lecavillio in the rotation, which they didn't really want to do. You know, which shows how short his starts have been the last few times. But uh, and then they had to call up Ryan Brucky, which again I don't think they were really in the situation they wanted to be calling up a pitcher just because if he gets hurt or something, then he starts accruing service time, like what happened with Anthony Alford last year. But hey, we did get the Ryan Brucky major league debut start. We did, huh? and it was a good one. Yeah, it wasn't too shabby. I mean, 
well, considering he's facing the the Astros. Yeah, imagine that in 2012. You saying that sentence, <laughs> and how different that would have. The, the, then it'd be like, what? He gave up three <laughs> runs. He sucks. Um, yeah. So with three runs over six. Yeah, it was a quality start. We had a lot of trouble with quality starts on this team, you know, with with the fully qualified major leaguers back in May. So I think uh, I think he. Uh, two runs, actually. Oh, sorry. Oh, just I two. I, mistake, yeah. say, I thought it was two, but I'm not going to argue with Mr. Statman. So you're the yeah. one who said it. <laughs> uh, no, you alluded to it before that. You said, "Hey, he gave up three runs to the Astros. He sucks." Oh, damn it! Yeah, right. I, was... I did say that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was two runs. He got three strikeouts, but uh, the the walks were a bit of a surprise. Uh, he's actually been doing that a bit more this year in Buffalo too. Throughout his minor league career, when healthy, Brian Brucky's been an extreme strike thrower. Obviously, as you move up the ladder, guys lay off some of your stuff a bit more. But I think as he starts facing some not best in the game opponents, we could see some really good things out of Brucky. And that's what we need, right? You you need to keep keep having fresh blood come in because uh, we are going to be losing some of those starters potentially, uh, not you know Sanchez and, and Stroman, but some of these other guys are are going to be moving on, and they're and they're not getting any younger. Um, yeah. And I get that that's the sort of the flip side to what I was saying before about not wanting to call someone up. They do need to see what Ryan Baraki and Tom Panone, who's coming back from his suspension very soon, and potentially even Sean Reed Foley can give them to see if they need to replace these guys in free agency or if they can just call them up from within. Fair enough. Let's move on to Josh Donaldson. I have no segue for Josh Donaldson. I, I'm sure there's a joke or something I can make about the perpetual calf problems but he wasn't even in the rehab game he was prepping for the rehab game taking infields or something and he has an acute calf strain yeah he's taking ground balls that's bad this 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 was the biggest blow i mean the jays in the last couple years have had just horrible luck with this you know we'll go into the season and we can trade this guy during the season well (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean obviously uh, you know, we talked about this, I think, way back in the in the offseason that it's harder to trade a position player during this season at the deadline because you're just not going to get as much because the demand is lower. But now, I mean, it's there's a chance he might even be back for the trade deadline. And I, I suppose what we also said in the you know the preseason was, hey, Josh Donaldson's been on the game on the 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 field playing games more than 150 every season, pretty much that he's been you know an A and and a Blue Jay, and then all of a sudden. Uh, that nagging calf issue from last year becomes what is obviously a chronic problem for him. Now, what do teams think? Even even if Josh Donaldson comes back before the trade deadline and he's you know tearing the world up, does the team want him this season? If you know what I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, how- I mean, I I think I no, I think there's teams that could still use him. Like the Braves, for example, they could use a third baseman, right? So I think that if he comes back before the deadline and starts hitting like Josh Donaldson and shows he's healthy, they will get offers. I just don't think they're going to be good ones. No. Um, and just as a the side issue, did we hear anything about Troy Tulowitzki this week? I don't think we did, did we? There... No, he's still no. just, yeah, I'll be back at some point probably. <laughs> as, he, as he fades like in um, Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> Spoiler. What? <laughs> what? You haven't seen anyway. Um, I haven't even seen, seen the movie. 
and I know that people fade. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a badly it's, kept secret. It was a, just a meme, but uh, yeah, the, just the way, way to sum this up is that this was the worst news we could have gotten about Josh Donaldson at the time. Absolutely. So uh, the worst thing that could happen to Kevin Pillar would be for him to continue playing, apparently. <laughs> it's funny we're talking about this on a day he went three for four, but my God, he's been bad. Yeah, I mean, three for four is about as big an aberration as you can possibly get out of Kevin Pillar lately. I mean, uh, it raised his on-base percentage to 281. Wow. For, for the, I mean, for, the other way I like to think about that is that 81.9% of the time, Kevin Pillar makes an out. That's not very good math, but <laughs> 70, <laughs> that would 70, be under 200 on base percentage. But that's how I fail. <laughs> <laughs> We're both struggling with our numbers today. <laughs> Me blaming you for something I said, but I mean, he hasn't walked since May 28th. That's a month tomorrow. <laughs> that's and that's unbelievable. Now, I was saying that was, I, I think we maybe talked about this, but I think that his hot start to the season was the worst thing that could have happened. Because despite no change to his approach, he was performing. So there was no, I need to change something. And he just doubled down. And now he's swinging at even more pitches and missing even more pitches and chasing even more pitches. And his numbers just took a nosedive. Well, yeah. And obviously the league is well aware of all the things you just said. And they're going to yeah. keep exploiting that. Like this, this is this is not a spiral that uh, happenstance is likely to get Pilar out of. Because, like you said, he's actually doing worse behavior than he ever has in his career. I saw the graph today, as far as chase rate goes. It's sad. What's really sad, I think, like we said last week, because he's been awful all week, is there are three perfectly capable outfielders out there. Well, four if you include the platoon of Granderson and Pierce. But three guys who can cover all three positions ably on any given night and give the Jays a better chance of winning ballgames. Yeah. And we talked about this too. This is going to be the dilemma, especially you know, if these guys keep playing going forward. Because if the plan is to hold on to Kevin Pillar, which there's no evidence to this point that it's not, then they kind of have to play Granderson and Pierce because you know they're your trade candidates, they're pending free agents. And you're not going to sit Teoscar Hernandez or Randall Grichuk. So where does that leave Pilar? I'm not actually really all that sure right now. I guess you could go through the DH, but it's still, you know, it's still not a lot of playing time. No. We shall see. Randall Grichuk made his his point rather loudly that he is in a much better place than he was in the beginning of the season and in a much better place than Kevin Pilar by homering twice one of which was, I believe, the longest Blue Jays home run of the year at 471 feet. Yeah, it was an absolute it was bomb. It was ridiculous. <laughs> that was one of the biggest home runs I've seen in a very, very long time. It pinged off of the upper post support at uh, the Astros <laughs> stadium. Um, that was just... Nobody was catching the ball because the ball was way over everybody's head, like 20 feet and yeah projected distance obviously it, it never got to 471 feet that'd be in the parking lot out there um that was insane and the best part that was not randall grichuk's best play of the night 
No, it wasn't. He actually only had the one homer, but he had a double. He, he had a bunch of doubles during the series. But that that play in the ninth inning. So he he hit the home run in the in what was the uh, top of the eighth. And then the Jays went into the bottom of the ninth with a three-run lead. And with two guys on, George Springer came up and hit a ball that everybody thought was like, oh, crap, they tied the game. <laughs> and they pulled it back. A jumping, he timed it. It wasn't like one of those ones where the guy's like sprinting full on and jumps and reaches in. He got there and jumped, but it was still, given the circumstances, a tremendous catch. Uh, absolutely. And, I mean, the, the stadium lends itself to that kind of play but you still have to be there and you have to time everything correctly and you have to know that there's a whole bunch of people leaning over your shoulder trying to stop you from doing that yeah he pulled it out of a fan's glove <laughs> apparently one it's of the, like, the, the fans reaction was as if he already had it, it yeah confused. he looked at his glove afterwards it was kind of funny <laughs> it was like a reverse jeffrey meyer situation i'm so dating myself with that reference <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh i think we were saying we were old earlier tonight when we were before we went on we were, but uh, I mean, Grichik has been, you know, he, he's, he was leading off. <laughs> he's really turned things around on the season and he's up to a 723 OPS, which considering where he was before is incredible. Uh, just side note, Kevin Pillar has continued to bat fifth on a regular basis, despite everything else. And I'm, I, I love John Gibbons, but I, sometimes it's like, I don't think giving Pilar the confidence to bat fifth is really helping anybody. It's not helping Pilar, and it's not helping all the guys who are now batting below him, wondering why Pilar's batting fifth. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I think it's because there's, there's nobody else in there. But today, today was sixth, which was you know a move in the right direction. But eventually, he's got to drop down. But I mean, if you look at the guys behind him, it's like Kevin Pilar is two eighty one on base, Ledimus Diaz two eighty four. Devin Dravis is 270, and then when it's Russell Martin is in there, it's like, you know, he's over 300, but he's not doing anything else. So, you know, it's bad bottom of the order. I know. I, I would still rather have the guys who could potentially move runners than it feels like Pilar is striking out more than ever. But maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just my pain being transferred. And Travis is playing very well lately. Yeah, I mean, Travis is, is doing the usual thing that he does in the summer, and he's coming around to be what, what sort of what you would, I think, expect as a, as a regular second baseman, someone who you can you count on to get uh, the occasional home run, shockingly, uh, and, and a fair number of, uh, of hits and, and no walks. But, you know. Yeah. Did, he, did he not walk more in his rookie season? He did, yes. He hasn't walked nearly as much since. Weird. Uh, so that was all the happy news. I guess pretty much we go to the, the difficult part of the, the show. Uh, Roberto Osina, his suspension was handed down this week by Major League Baseball after his uh, court date. Uh, tell me what you will. Well, I mean, I think they did it right. If that's more sort of what you're talking about. I mean, they smacked, they laid the smack down. 75 games is the second longest suspension in the history of the sport for domestic violence. So... Yeah, and they've started getting longer as this has gone along. So I think it's a good sense that the league is taking this stuff really seriously now. I agree. And, and you know, I, I wasn't really sure what it was going to be. It was kind of like, you know, it's with the history of these suspensions, there could have been any number of games. And I, I think that they came in with a, a good amount, at least. So Osuna is pleading not guilty in the court case, but he is not contesting the suspension. He's not appealing, which I thought was kind of... An interesting, um, yeah, I, I don't know. 
what statement that makes as far as obviously he's not admitting legal liability by accepting the suspension but it seems to be like he's pursuing two different paths for two different reasons here well i mean there's a lot of play here though that would could lead to something like that for example if he's convicted of you know assault it could make his ability to travel to the united states much tougher which if he wants to be a professional baseball player is kind of important now obviously there are ways that the guys can get around that we saw that with you know bush when the jays played the rangers in the in the postseason but you know they've had there have been situations where players have not been able to come to canada because of drug convictions so it's sort of a gray area there but it, you know it's just it's like a civil suit versus a criminal suit like they're different levels of liability right right uh the other thing we found out is that apparently there is video of the incident in question for mr osuna which i don't think we knew until this week that came from his lawyer which is so no but no but no, but that that when the lawyer says something like that, it's usually they're trying to mitigate it. So yeah, I take everything with a grain of salt. I'd rather not. I'd rather reserve comment on like what actually happened because we don't know anything until the court case is finished. But I think that it's clear something happened, and that he's being justly punished for it. So far, uh, yeah, we 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 have that information, and then we'll go forward. Obviously, you know. There are legal consequences for Mr. Osuna coming up. We'll have to find out what they are. Um, yeah, unfortunate in general. Yeah, and it's you know, it, it's weird to talk about the baseball aspect of it when you know when it's obviously not. It's obviously secondary in this situation, but there were strange consequences that came out of that seventy-five game suspension, which I think we should address at least. Yeah. So once again, our first concern here is the victim. And that this is handled in a, in a fair manner in the courts. But you're right. There are baseball implications. And the baseball implications are, of course, the length of the, the suspension takes us into August. Yeah. For, so for one thing, it, it gives an extra year of control, which, you know, if you're trading him, which is obviously where the August thing comes into play, that matters to the team acquiring. But it takes them past the trade deadline. And... You know, a team is probably going to want to see him pitch before they invest any kind of assets for Roberto Osuna. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what effect this has had on his ability um, to perform as as a, as an interested party. You're definitely going to want to see that, and yeah, I mean, it. I it seems to me that 75 games was specifically intended to move it past the non-waiver just past that non-waiver trade deadline and a nice roundish number because you mentioned it's the second longest suspension ever the longest was was a hector Oliveris. yep 81 games which is a much more typical major league baseball half a season so i, mean, I guess it's the only 80, only one game suspension they've ever given out. But, but the, no, it, that only 81 game suspension they've given out. But when you go back to the drug policy, which I think it's the same people making these decisions, the, the, it used to be 50 games and then uh, what was 100 or 150 games. Now it's 81 games and full season. It's 80, actually. Oh, 80. Why is it one less than? I don't know. That's why I said it was weird. But <laughs> never mind. I don't know. I, I don't think that there's. I think that the Oliveris one. Now that that one also actually the Oliveris one also took it to right after the trade deadline, which was interesting. His his suspension was going to end on August second. He ended up getting traded anyway, but that was as a salary dump kind of trade. But 
I don't know. They, they, this this whole center one is going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out because there are two potential future outcomes here. Either he pitches for the Blue Jays again or he doesn't, which is, you know, it's a very obvious thing to say, but we don't know where the team is leaning on that front because if they're thinking, okay, he's going to serve a suspension and then we're going to welcome him back, then he's not getting traded and that's that simple. But if the idea is that he's never going to play for this team again, this this is going to have an interesting effect on their ability to get something substantial for him. And I think it's going to have a, somewhat of an effect on uh, people's opinion of the team in Toronto if he doesn't. Again, I if even if he gets traded and they hold out for something really good uh, trading him whenever they trade him, I think people are, are... Some people want him nothing short of dropped. And I don't think that's going to happen. No, it won't. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out in the... Uh, yeah. I mean, the Chapman opinion. thing sort of created the precedent for this, right? I mean, or what is Chapman? Now he's he he got he did. We don't know exactly what Osuna did. We know what Chapman supposedly did with the threatening and shooting off a gun, but he got forgiven somehow by by the sport. And you know, we hope that doesn't happen again because you shouldn't be forgiven for things like this. But he's a uh, you know he he got traded for one of the best prospects in all of baseball in Glaber Torres and then got re-signed for 80 some odd million. So the league, you know, the league cares, but the teams care more about winning is sort of what I'm thinking here. And I agree. And and I, I think that's a difficult, you know, a difficult thing to justify or to, to argue out. It's complicated because you look at a guy and you say, okay, well, um, there were legal ramifications and you you either were found guilty or not guilty and you served your time or you didn't need to serve any time or the complaint was dropped whatever happened there and there was a a a professional consideration you were told to serve a suspension you didn't appeal it you served the suspension you didn't get paid for it okay how long do we keep punishing someone if there are if there are you know stated punishments in place for things do we turn someone into a pariah forever or what what else do we do and and i think we're learning what the answer to that is that the answer with chapman seems wiping it up you know all under the rug and giving him 80 million dollars seems like it was too generous well the thing that went farther with chapman which is why i said he was forgiven it was we started getting things you know quotes coming out it's like oh he's such a great guy and you know teammates love him and those are the stories that at the time were just like they didn't make a lot of sense it's like this guy just to serve a suspension for terrorizing a woman. I don't think that we want to hear about what a good guy he is. Yeah. Somebody did, though. All right. We will leave uh, Roberto in limbo because that's where he is at the moment. And we'll move to the other guys who are in limbo uh, to the trading block. And I wish I had like a stinger for the trading block, but I didn't look anything up today. So <laughs> may- maybe next week. Hap, O, and Estrada is what I'm saying. Hap. Yeah, uh, has, and has his stock risen, lowered, stayed where it was? I mean, I think that the fact that he just keeps doing it, like he just went out and outdueled Justin Verlander. I mean, I mean, he didn't have his greatest game, but he pitched well against the defending champions. And I think that that's the kind of thing that, as he keeps doing that over and over and over again, it just further cements him as the number one tradable asset on the market, which is good for the Blue Jays. Um, the other person who you keep, uh, you know, hinting at that, that sort of gets better every time out, Sung Hwan Oh, the final boss who is not closing for the Blue Jays because he's a little older, he keeps doing things. How, how has he been lately? 
So, Sonorno has had a kind of a strange season. He's pitched 37 times and he's given up a run or more seven times. But in three of those, he's given up three runs. <laughs> so, his overall ERA is actually 3 2 2. But especially lately, he's just been dynamite. I mean, in his last 10 games, he's given up one run, which was the home run against the Angels, struck out 13 guys in nine innings. And He's throwing harder than he was earlier in the season, which is, well, we talked about this way back on the podcast that we were worried about his fastball. Uh-huh. And, you know, because he, he dropped a lot, but he's he's throwing harder. He's really, really painting with that fastball for strikes up in the zone. He's getting a lot of punch outs. And this is a guy who has a track record, right? I mean, this isn't some fluky guy coming up and having a good season. He Sonorno was great in his first season in the bigs. He was great in Japan. He was great in Korea. He just wasn't very good last year. So, And he also has an option, a very cheap one for next season. So I think he could be a very valuable trade piece. Cool. And third, Estrada. This, I mean, this is regardless, Marco Estrada's last tour of duty with the Blue Jays, I think. I don't think he, he fits very well going forward. So No. The Blue Jays are looking to get something for him. He seems to have righted the ship, as it were. Yeah, he. I mean, his start today was a little strange. Uh, he, in the first inning, he kind of got screwed when uh, there was a catcher's interference on Luke Maley. And it was a, on a pop-up. It, 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 you know, who knows what would happen if there was no interference, but he didn't really make a ton of contact. And then three runs scored. And then he gave up another run later in the in the game. But he was sort of up and down, but he still held the the Astros to four runs over five, three of which were earned, and potentially could have been fewer. But he's been really a lot better lately. And I think that for a team that needs this is where it's the difference between Hap and Estrada, which we talked about before. The the idea of playoff help versus playoff push help. And I think Estrada's the latter. Mm-hmm. This this like is not a guy who's who's even going to make a an imitation of an ace, but he certainly is better than anything you could possibly get on the waiver wire into August, I believe. And this is, I know, especially with teams like the the Brewers, for example, where their issue isn't you know, they need arms, right? Or the Yankees, same kind of thing. So the Yankees especially need depth at the back, but these teams that need a pitcher just to fill the hole because they're in fights. You know, the Yankees have, a, they're going to make the postseason. There's no question about it, but they don't want to be the wild card. Yeah. So the Yankees are going to be looking for pitching. The, the, uh, the Brewers will be looking for pitching. And I think that those are the teams for sure, for sure that will look at guys like this, not necessarily Estrada, but guys that will just help them with depth. Marco marginal wins Estrada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the trading block for this week. Maybe someone will pop up next week, uh, or maybe there'll actually be a trade. It is possible to trade someone before the All-Star break. Uh, it has happened before, so we'll see if something something gets shaken loose. Yeah, a lot of people thought that Hat might not make another start in Toronto. And But I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to pitch against the Tigers. All right, fair enough. So we're going to leave that for just a minute, and then we're going to come back with your questions and a bunch of other little features that we uh, love to promote around here. We'll see you in a sec. We have returned. We have returned with, believe it or not, questions from you, because we've never done that before. 
time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? I'm just going to pat myself on the back for hitting the right button and having the right noise come out, so... Yeah. I'll thank myself later. All right. First question. <laughs> Mark Behar. Uh, at Mark Behar, which is a, a question from uh, June 26th, but uh, this was directly directed at you, and, and uh, we thought we'd bring it to the podcast. So, Josh, uh, I think it's relevant, he says. Is there, isn't there a good chance Tulo plays a bunch at third base next season? Even depleted mobility aside, they can't let him block Bo if he's otherwise ready, right? This is a fascinating question, because I would be very surprised to see Troy Tulowski move off of shortstop. But at the same time, it's a, he's correct that you don't want him blocking Bo Bichette if Bo Bichette is ready to contribute. It is a bit of a poser. Does Bo Bichette uh, slide over to second base if Troy Tulitsky is a, is a contributing member of the team? I think what we might see happen is, you know, in his last year of his contract, Tulitsky... Oh, he's done. He's got two more years in his contract. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a good chance we could see Bobish at, at second and playing some games at short when Tulowitzki needs a day off. This is, again, assuming that Bichette is ready for opening day, which it's possible he will start the season in AAA. He only recently started getting hot in AA. But I, I, I don't think Tulo would respond well to being moved off the position because when he's playing, he's still a good shortstop. And also, you know, there's Vlad Jr. is going to be playing third. So Of course he is. His natural position. Well, I think they're going to let him try there at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, at first they got to let him try there at AAA, I think. First yeah, he has to but, heal up. All right. But I would be very surprised if Vlad Jr. is not in the opening day lineup or at least the very early season lineup next year. I, I can see that he will be the most promotable asset on the 2019 Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm making predictions uh, alright Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans this asks um, a very philosophical question I think this week why is it so hard to get the third out of an inning <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has felt like that a lot this season where the Blue Jays just seem to not be able to get the third out of an inning it's like it's just like come on just get that one more guy and we'll clear this and the base Oddly runners enough, keep piling up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually somewhat true that this is happening statistically. <laughs> the Blue Jays are struggling a bit more. It's but it's, it's marginal. Six points of on base percentage and six points of slugging percentage. <laughs> like so, point zero zero six. Yeah. Six points. Not you know, it's, yeah. yeah. Like so it's marginal difference. Seven seven seventy OPS versus a seven. 65 OPS so we're actually it's actually they're not struggling with it but just in those times when it's going badly as it did today when you know Tyler Clipper gave up the two out home run and brought them within one which spawned this question it just feels worse I think that's why it seems like it is yeah you, you definitely you got well those first two were easy this this third one should be easy it's, well statistically I mean one in every three guys pretty much gets on base right so <laughs> yeah, this guy's uh, had no home run. Yeah, that's that's on all the bases, sort of. Yeah. All right, right. Here's one for you from okay. Luke. Can't even anymore. <laughs> yeah, we get it, Luke. At Split Letters, I have a silly one for you. What 
Dungeons and Dragons alignments would you assign to the AL East teams slash entire MLB? And this is for you because I never played this game. So, yes. So I will I will quickly try and bring people who have not played D and D up to speed. Although I'm sure a lot of people are familiar at least a little bit with it. Um, there's there's three descriptions of alignments, um, which is lawful neutral and chaotic and they have of course uh sort of traits that your character would follow according to those and then there's three um i whatever you want to call them karmas good neutral and evil so you get nine boxes all the way up from lawful good which is like the pinnacle of of niceness um and and law abidingness to chaotic evil which is just you know uh usually in D, you're insane wizard in the corner blowing stuff up so I would say I'm just going to do the the AL East. I would say that the Yankees are lawful evil um, because they just use money to destroy everyone else. Um, Tampa, I think, is chaotic neutral uh, because they do all this weird stuff. Um, th- I can't see them as good, not playing in that park, not doing the things they do to us. Uh, the Red Sox are chaotic evil uh, because there's always a circus to me around the Red Sox that the Yankees just don't seem to have. Uh, and obviously they're evil because we're the Blue Jays. Uh, the Orioles are chaotic neutral. Um, I don't really have any animosity toward them, but they're a complete garbage show uh, every other year on the field. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's happening or why their owner's doing what he's doing. And the Blue Jays have to be lawful good. I think that's the only Wait. only realistic thing because this is a Blue Jays uh, show. This is a podcast uh, just for that. Right there so. with you. Although right. I think it's the first time anyone has ever said that the Yankees are not a circus compared to another team because... It's. I mean, it's, you're right, right? <laughs> Especially with that Boston media, but just sort of the reputation. Yeah, well, I mean, if we were talking about how the team is covered, I would say that those might be a little different, but I think the actual way the front office operates seems to be more to that character. Okay, yep. there you go. What a weird question. Thank you for asking. Um, okay, so from John Armstrong at John, John Armstrong 20, he says, okay, I'll bite. Why did Tapera throw that third high fastball? Uh, I suppose he's being very specific about today's game, knowing we were recording tonight. Yeah, this was what led to the home run, the walk-off home run for Alex Bregman, who just torched the Jays in this game. I think for the three doubles and a home run or something like that, it was it's not not good. Um, no, two doubles. But uh, so here's the, I, the, the thinking behind it is that Alex Bregman is a very good low ball hitter. Uh, especially and especially up and in is where he struggles a bit more than everywhere else when it comes to his power. However, Tapera's game is not the high fastball. He's you know sinkers and cutters are where where he makes his money. So it wasn't it was a strange pitch call and, and I, I obviously one they wish they had back. But I, I think that it's one you probably won't see Tapera doing too often going forward. There you go. So you played to the hitter's weakness rather than your own strength. Yeah, that's what happened. Sometimes that works. It does sometimes. It did not today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, was that, that was everybody, wasn't it? That's it. All right. Well, thank you once again for your questions. As always, the Twitter's out there, even though it's really annoying to use now, which I won't get into. <laughs> Please keep an eye out for us next week. Um, I'm going to go to one of my favorite features right now. I'm going to talk about uh, a cliché. Man, what a cliche. I thought writers hated cliches. So are you, I know you don't listen to Pat and Buck much, but have you ever seen them watch the uh, the catcher shake off and then the pitcher shake off and step off and get back on and shake off again? And then the catcher comes up and he makes a mound visit. Yes. The thing they've taken to saying now 
every time is, wow, he has a certain pitch on his mind. What does that mean, really? Does that mean anything at all? <laughs> it means he wants to throw a specific pitch, I guess. At what point does the pitcher, like, I mean, think about that. The guy walks out. So what are you thinking about? Nothing, man. I, <laughs> I just blanked out for like 30 seconds there. <laughs> Go back behind the plate and call something. Yeah. So that's not it. Second of all, if he had a certain pitch on his mind, one would think the catcher had shown him that pitch. I'm thinking it's think not, so. I'm not thinking he doesn't. It's, it's not that he has a certain pitch on his mind. It's uh, he's actually changing his mind. That is, the catcher shows him a pitch. He shakes it. He sees the pitch that he originally wanted. And then he thinks in his head... Maybe, oh, why did the catcher want that other one? Maybe that's a better pitch. That definitely does happen. You'll see pitchers shake off a pitch, and then and then the catcher will go all the way through the signs and call it again, and he'll go to it. I think there's a lot of different reasons this can happen. Sometimes it's like you just have too many pitches, then catchers goes through three or four, and she's like, okay, here's why I didn't call this one you want, and they have a discussion about it. But it's definitely not the same thing every single time. And the other thing is uh, that I think they never – consider the possibility of and i don't know why they never say it is maybe he's confused about the signs because the runner's on second like that would be the time <laughs> when i would i would go through the sequence twice right if i'm like uh was it first one after two or was it oh crap okay well if he gives them to me again i'm sure i'll know what they're gonna no he gave me a different set damn okay <laughs> we gotta talk about this it, but no, every single time, he's got a certain pitch on his mind. We all do, Buck. We all do, Tabby. Well, I mean, this is the one, you know, Buck and Tabby, I mean, you just sometimes you just have to accept. I think it's, I, I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm hoping I can get to a point where I can just accept that they're just going to say stupid things like, you know, talking about the two-run homer that Sun Wano gave up in a game that was 1-1. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that happened. And it's just like, <laughs> so he's just like, okay. You know? <laughs> so I always like when Buck's like, and the Blue Jays tie it up. It's 6-5. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, okay, whatever. All right, we have, uh, we have one last important element to get to. We have one of our dedicated patrons uh, handing you what I hope is a softball stump to Josh. No, it's Josh. Oh, that's a bad guy. You don't want to fool with him. Ah, uh, yes, there we are. And oh, oh, good. For a second, my screen went blank. That's not what you want when you're trying to read something. It does make it harder. It does. It, then you just have to try and remember. So, straight up MLB rules question. Oh, okay. What's a ground rule triple? What's a ground rule triple? Under what occasion can a batter be awarded three bases, not two? Or one, depending on, you know, the various occasions on which a batter gets awarded bases. There's actually more than one. Yeah, I have two in front of me. Okay. Well, actually, there might even be three. But so there's the one where a player throws his glove at a ball. Right, so that is um, uh, 506B4705C. Yeah, fine. 
Three bases. <laughs> if a fielder deliberately throws his glove at and touches a fair ball, the ball is in play and the batter may advance to home base at his peril. Correct. Now, there are two other ones. One, I mean, one of them I might be just that doesn't exist anymore. There's one that used to be that when their field was overcrowded, they drew a line and they put the fans under it. And uh, <laughs> if the ball hit the, hit the ball under that line. And then there's one where a fan interferes with, interferes with the ball in play that the umpires can't really rule what it would have been, but it would not have been a catch. So that's an umpire judgment. So that could be three bases. You're right. But it could also be two bases if the judge if the umpires judged it as such, right? Yeah. So this is a specific rule B of that same rule that I just read you C of is slightly different, but still there. Three bases. If a fielder deliberately touches a fair ball with his cap, mask, or any part of his uniform detached from its proper place on his person. Same. Well, that's all that's the same rule though. That it... almost. But the two different sections in the rule book. Because if you take right. off your, your glove and throw or you take off your hat and throw it and you try and invoke rule C, it doesn't work. Yeah. I, but anyway, they, 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 yeah, but so then there's but the other two ways are ways of getting a ground rule triple. There you go. Many ways to get the, to third base without a liability to put out that we well, here's her follow up question. Have either of you ever witnessed a ground rule triple in a major league game? In a game, I've seen highlights of it. I don't think I don't know if I've ever actually seen one live though, as it was happening. I I don't think I've ever seen one either. I, what I am fascinated by actually is a play that's not illegal, which is when you catch the ball and it gets lodged in your glove or in some other paraphernalia, like your uniform, and you mm -hmm. run over there or toss the glove. And I always thought. It, that's not a violation that's really weird <laughs> you, you can't throw the glove before the ball's in it but once the ball's in it that's okay you can toss it wherever you like yeah but uh it's you know just baseball's weirdness and actually you know what i'm just thinking about didn't teoscar hernandez hit into a ground rule triple last year or hit one i don't know I think I remember that happening. I can't remember who it was against, but I think he did it with the Blue Jays. This year, someone was awarded third, and then they sent him back to second after review, I believe. I was disappointed in that. That was for sure. Yeah, baseball's a weird game. Yeah, right on the fringes. Do you, sir? Uh, we will count that as a not stump, because you could you could give at least one of the rules. Uh, I gave three of them. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, just not... not. But again, I, I said it's a not stump. <laughs> It was a nice question, a little softer uh, velocity than some of our previous questions. Now that we've established that, I, I open the floor to you, sir, for your final thought. So we didn't make this a do-over because he doesn't deserve it. But did you read the comments from Dayton Moore regarding Luke Heimlich? No, I've tried to avoid uncomfortable things this week. Yeah, okay, then... Basically, I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna say them on here, but like it was disgusting. The stuff he was saying. It's just like you, the Royals and their porn thing somehow trying to say that that was potentially to blame for what he did and everything. Just stop. If you're gonna if you're gonna go sign this guy, don't try to sugarcoat it and excuse it. Just say we think we you know he's he's behind it and, and just accept the blame you're gonna get. Don't try to make it seem like it's a good thing. Fair enough. 
Um, my my thought would be once again the Blue Jays did not go six and zero or seven zero during the week. Uh, very much confirming that they are not a playoff team. So I am, I am very much in love with some of the new players they have. I I do like Yanharvis Salarte and uh, Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichuk. They're they're, they're fun guys. Uh, I really want to see the composition of this cha- team start to change so we can see what what the future may hold. I'm I'm impatient for that already. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. Other than you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 107. We'll talk at you next week. Mm-hmm.